Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Can you believe it's the 4th of July and it's like freezing out? This is awesome. This is what I'm talking about. I love this. It can warm up later. It can warm up later. That's great. But, but I like starting the day like this. Uh, it's kind of where I'm, that's how, how I grew up, you know, beach weather. This is, uh, this is, this is awesome. Uh, how are y'all doing today? You doing good? I'm just excited. More than three of us showed up. Uh, that's good. So, uh, hey, uh, before we go into our time of teaching, uh, I've got a special announcement for you. And it's, it's really kind of a long announcement, so I just want you to sit back. Don't go to sleep, but uh, just kind of sit back and, and take it in. Um, uh, I don't know if you were here last week, but um, last week we talked about uh, waiting on God. Uh, do you remember that? Do you remember waiting on that? And how God sometimes leads us into hard times in our life and and kind of kinds of crisis, and it's hard to always figure out why. And we talked about why he, he does that and what he does in that. And, and I don't know if you remember that, but uh, I share with you at least five reasons that, that God leads us into times like that or allows us to go. Uh, we talked about it's, it's in those, those hard times, those desert times, that God uh, teaches us to trust him, and he stretches our faith, remember? And then we talked about that it's, it's during the hard times that God shapes our character, uh, it's in the, in, and third, in the hard times, it's, it's those times where um, God teaches us how to surrender our will to his will, and, he, and, and so then it releases a new power in our life as we learn to surrender. And we talked about the number four, that it's during the hard times that God draws us to himself in a unique way. We get to know who he is. And then we talked that in the hard times, it's those times that God is preparing us for our future and our future for us. And, uh, and, and I just hate it. Um, when God uses my own messages to teach me something. <laughs> he's, like, he's just such a bummer. Like, look, I just want to teach it. I don't want to live it. Just, just like teach it. This is really good for all those people out there. Uh, it's just awesome. But, um, well, well, Monday, I got to live it. And, uh, and so I want to I show you, we're kind of facing a crisis as a church. Uh, it's, uh, it's a financial crisis. Uh, and, and I want to give you um, a little bit of a background about what happened this week. So, so I, I, I teach this thing on, on uh, Sunday, right? And I'm feeling good about that. I'm feeling like God really moved in our service. Like that was a great message. Uh, so many of you are just telling me, man, that hit me right where I am. I'm just so glad for you <laughs> that God's just blessing you. Um, so then Monday afternoon, and let me, so let me give you some of this background. Um, as a church here, uh, we, we have, Church Rocky Peak, we have a credit line, and We've had this for over seven years. A lot of churches have this because uh, in, in church world, uh, what tends to happen is that you know, throughout the year, uh, you have better months, you have leaner months, but your biggest months of the year come at the end of the year, your biggest uh, year in giving. And so a lot of churches, nonprofit, will have um, a credit line so that in the, in the difficult times of the year or it's not as much money as coming in, uh, maybe in the fall when you're kind of running out of your cash reserves, that you can dip in this credit line. You pay it off at the end of the year. And so, so we're like that, too. And we, we've had a credit line with our bank for over seven years, and for like $500,000 credit line. And so, um, so uh, we've always had this great relationship with our bank. They, they love us. We have two CPAs on our staff. They love how we do kind of our business, a part of the church, run, run things. And so we've always had this great relationship. And in fact, um, back in January of this year, if you remember back in January, we, we had a tough 2009. You remember that? We ended the year, it was tough. 
And so we had some tough choices to make, and so we told our bank, here's our financials for the end of the year, how much came in, how much we spent, and here's what we're doing to, to, uh, to, to address this issue. And so we shared the tough decisions we were making. And you'll remember, if you're if you here, then we had some layoffs, uh, we had uh, across-the-board salary reductions, suspension of 403 benefits, some ministry reduction things, so some significant things, it was a painful time. So we shared with, that in, in, with them in January, and they were ecstatic. They're like, we just, you know, we love you guys. Uh, that, you know, most churches wait way too long to be proactive when this thing, you know, a lot of churches are going through this right now and we're not seeing them respond like you are. And we're so happy. And so that was the last we talked to our, our bank. You know, they're just really happy with us. And so on Monday afternoon, Rob Folk comes in, our executive pastor, and he says, I've got bad news. Um, the bank just canceled our line of credit. Uh, after seven years, uh, the bank, without any notice, no warning, um, just canceled it effective immediately. Well, uh, our plan was to start uh, dipping into the line of credit this year. Our projection this whole year was to dip into it starting in August. Are you following the logic here? <laughs> yeah, if you're missing it, let me spell it out. Uh, what that means is a month from now, uh, if our giving remains the same as projected, we won't have enough money to pay all our bills. So I, I don't know about you, but um, that qualifies for me as a genuine crisis. Um, and, and so um, I, I want to, uh, you know, <laughs> when this happened uh, on Monday, um, I, I did what I kind of always do in a crisis is, is you know, first of all, like, God, God, what are you up to? Like, wh- what do you want us to learn? Uh, like, like, what's this about? And, uh, yeah, I'm just so excited about what God's doing in our church. I mean, uh, you know, people are coming to Christ who've been far from God. Uh, we're, we're all learning what it means to be followers of Jesus in just new ways. He's transforming us. He's changing us from the inside out. Uh, we're, we're, we're touching the world around us in increasing ways. I'm so excited about that. So the question is, so God, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this about? You've led us into this desert, and right away the sermon comes back to me. And, and I'm sensing that those five things, that, that during this next month, uh, God is taking us into a desert, and that we're, we're going to learn how to trust him in new ways, going to stretch our faith, um, that he is going to shape our character in some significant ways as a church this month, um, that he is going to draw us to new levels of surrender to his leading in our life, uh, that he is going to draw us closer in our personal relationship with him, and he's going to prepare us for our future. So, so as we prayed about this week as a leadership team, elders, pastors, and so on, uh, let, let me share with you kind of what the plan is. Um, uh, as I prayed about this week, what I really felt like God was putting on my heart to do is it was kind of perfect timing. I don't know if you were here last week, but last week I told you that this weekend, uh, starting today, was kind of the last message in this first major section of Galatians. And, the, and so the plan was I was going to teach that today, and then we, I was going to take a week off. Joel was going to be teaching next week. And then, uh, and then I was going to come back and, and go into the second section of, of Galatians. And so it was kind of a, a perfect timing uh, for something new. And, and I sensed that God was putting on my heart to, uh, to take a break and to do a short series uh, on the whole area of generosity. 
And, and I don't know if you remember, but the last year or two, uh, I've talked to you several times about this concept of a culture of generosity. That one of the things I believe is that God wants to create in our church a culture of generosity. And frankly, I've wanted to teach on this um, before. And I was like, when it was Galatians time, it was kind of like, well, that's a bummer. I want to do this other thing. And, and, and so it uh, didn't feel like a release to do that. And then um, uh, our next series, I think, is going to be in James. And, uh, and, and, and that came to me about six weeks ago. And, it's like, and so I was kind of like, oh, I, when I get to teach on this generosity thing. And, uh, and so this week, uh, it just seemed like, okay, this, this may be the time. So I began to pray about it. And sure enough, like Wednesday morning, um, I was coming downstairs uh, at my house, came into my kitchen. And, and sure enough, it's just like this download begins to happen. You know, that's kind of how sermon series come to me. It's just kind of this, this download, dump, this is what's next. And, and so um, we're going to be uh, <laughs> stopping and doing a three-week series uh, that's called the, uh, the Journey to Generosity. And, and I, I'm just, I'm excited about this. I've got to tell you, I've been wanting to do this for a long time because one of the things I believe is that if we're, if we're going to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers here at Rocky Peak, one of the areas that's just pivotal for us to grow in is coming to a place in our life where we learn to surrender our resources our finances to God completely and absolutely to whatever he wants. And Jesus was so clear on this that no man can serve two masters, that you either love the one, you hate the other, and you can't serve God and money. So one of the, the most pivotal decisions that we have to make in our lives at some point, if we're going to follow Jesus, is who leads us in the area of our finances. And, and once we, we go through that crossroads, it opens up a whole new door of growth and relationship. And so I've known this for a long time, and, and I've, I've known that there's a time that's going to come, and it's just, I, I really believe this is a time. The guy wants to do this. And so I'm excited about that. I, I, I'm just pumped up about this. What we're going to do is, we're, for the next three weeks, we're going to be, our, kind of our base text is going to be uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which is some of the greatest teaching in all the Bible on, on generosity, on giving, how you give, why you give, uh, how Jesus is the ultimate giver, that if we want to be Christ's followers, this is a change of heart that supernaturally God does in us, and how that all works out. And so, so I'm I'm really excited uh, about that. So here's what we're going to do. I, I realize that at this point uh, in life that there's some of us here, I was talking to someone on the way in who's been out of work for six months, and, and, and so there's, there's some of us going through very hard times financially, others of us uh, kind of blessing time financially, but here's what I want you to catch. It, it, this series is more about our heart than anything else, and, and so what we're going to be doing is, is learning what does it mean to be a passionate Christ follower in this area of generosity. And so, so this is not going to be a series, you kind of, you probably assume this just if, if you're a regular here, but this is not going to be a series that is at all kind of manipulative. It's not going to be like twisting your arm. It's not going to be, hey, we've got to kind of guilt you into something. What, what this really is, is, is this kind of this time we're having right now. It's, it's almost like in a family where, where someone loses their job and you almost have a family meeting and you say, okay, uh, what are we going to do and, and, and how are we going to handle this? And so that's kind of what this is today, uh, this, this kind of intro time right now. It's just it's going to say that, hey, as a family, we've got a crisis. And, and so what's going to happen over the next month is that we're all at some point going to have to come before Jesus and say, okay, uh, how do you, what, what's my part to play in this crisis? What do you want me to do? So my goal in this series is just to prepare you for that to, as a Christ follower to go before Jesus and ask what he wants you to do by giving you some, some very solid teaching uh, on this important area of following Christ. And so uh, here's what I'd like to uh, ask you to do. Number one 
is the next three weeks, uh, I would like you to make it a high priority just to be here. I, I know you usually do that anyway, but that this is a very important journey for us as a church. It's important to be here every week. Now, I realize it's vacation time, so you may be out of town uh, certain times, and if so, that's fine, but be sure to podcast it or download it or, or pick up a CD so you can go with us on this journey. Uh, second thing is that this week um, I will be sending out a letter to the congregation. It will reiterate a lot of the things I've said here, but it'll be in print, so it'll be like if you forgot or kind of you didn't follow something. I'll give you a little bit more information, um, spell out a little bit more what's going to happen this this next month, um, and so. Uh, we'll do that. And the third thing is, I'd like to ask you to be praying with us as a leadership team, as a church. This is really a crisis time for us as a church. And, and I believe that God wants us to come together as a church to seek Him in prayer. And so I'm sure that we'll have at least one time, maybe more, we'll gather as a whole church during this uh, series just for a time of worship and prayer to seek Him. Because at the end of it, what we'll have to do is we'll have a chance to, for you to make some commitments about what you feel God is calling you personally to do. And so that'll be part of that, this whole prayer uh, process. So, uh, uh, so, so that's it. I, I wanted you to be aware of that. Um, I, I want you to know, uh, as, as your pastor, just a couple things. Um, one, I want you to know that, uh, first of all, this has not been an easy week for me. Uh, it's just, you know, obviously. But, but I want you to know that as a staff um, and, and as uh, in my own life, I just have a tremendous sense that God is in this, that, that God is leading us, this, and, that, and that this is what needs to happen for us as a church to go to the next level to unleash this movement that we, we've talked about here, a passionate Christ followers, that this is a critical junction for us uh, to really uh, seek him. And so I'm excited about that. I, I really am. And it's, it's funny because uh, the morning this happened, I, I was spending some time with God that morning, and, and God directed me to two Psalms I felt like he wanted me to study for my life. And it was funny. It was one about um, my leadership. It was a psalm about leadership that God's used in my life before and about how it is to be courageous and write out boldly uh, on behalf of righteousness and truth and humility. And, and so I just felt like God was really speaking that to me. And I was like, I, I don't really get that, but okay, you know, so here he is, journal it all down. Here's the psalm. The other psalm is uh, Psalm 46 where it says, With the earth, uh, when the earth falls into the ocean, uh, do not fear. And, uh, and, I'm, and so I, I'm like, I'm, write, I'm writing this down. I'm like, that's really, it's such awesome. So I'm meditating on it, praying over it. And it's like, I don't know why he's telling me that, but this is really good stuff. You know, it's just awesome stuff. And then in the afternoon, uh, the earth fell into the ocean. So uh, anyway, so uh, I just want you to know, uh, I, I think it's going to be an exciting time for us as a church, as, as we seek him together. So um, I, I want to share that with you. I want to invite you to take this journey with me. We're going to see what God's going to do. I believe we're going to come out of this stronger than ever. I believe he's going to pave the way for us, uh, not only financially, but I think he's going to pave the way for us spiritually because I think there's some new work for us to do as a church in this whole area of surrendering all of our life. And one of the biggest gods of our culture that, that kind of fights for our allegiance is the God of money. And so as we surrender that, we move to a whole new level of relationship with Jesus. So are you with me in that? Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, well, I, I've still got a message. You thought that was it, but uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm excited about it. I, I really am. It's a, it's a great passage. So let's, uh, let's pray together. And, and by the way, if you haven't figured this out, my name's Mike. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky Peak, and so if you're new today, uh, we don't do this every week. Um, <laughs> 
we, we try to limit crises every 10 years or so. Uh, but if you're new, just want to welcome you. And inside your program is a white message note sheet. We're going to use it for our time of teaching. And so, so I'm going to pray for us now. Uh, can I pray for this? Uh, God would lead us in this crisis. Pray for the message. And then we're going to jump right in. Okay, so let, let's, let's go. Father, we are so uh, thankful to be your church, and we're so thankful to be the people called by your name, and we're so thankful that you are our refuge and you are our strength, and though the earth falls into the ocean, uh, that, that you say, do not be fear, for I am with you, and we, we're just so thankful for the way you've been with us as a church uh, for, since the very beginning of this church, God, that you have led and you have guided us for the last over 30 years, and and we have seen you provide, and we have seen you lead, and we've seen you walk us through difficult times. We have seen us strengthen, and we're just excited, Lord, because we, we get to go on a journey of faith with you this month. And, and so we, we, we pray, Lord, that you would lead, that you would guide, that you would provide. Um, we pray most of all that we would surrender to you at a whole new level that would allow us to experience your passion, your freedom, uh, the reason we were created to live. And so we, uh, we pray you'd guide us. And Father, we also pray today as we come on this uh, July 4th weekend and we talk about this topic of freedom and the freedom that you died to give us, we pray that you would lead us into that freedom in new ways. We pray it in your name. Amen. <laughs> well, our story uh, starts today in Santa Barbara. Uh, any, any of you ever been to Santa Barbara? <laughs> it's like, isn't it the most awesome place? Uh, I just think that God's chosen people. Uh, live in Santa Barbara, and, and one day I hope that I, I get to be chosen, you know, just, we, we go up there uh, fairly often, I'll ride my motorcycle up there sometimes for breakfast or whatever, uh, just, just kind of love, to say. so anyway, this story starts in Santa Barbara, and this story starts a long time ago, uh, it was our, our 10th anniversary, uh, Lynn and I, it's the 10th anniversary, so it was a very long time ago. Uh, really like a long time ago. And, and uh, so we, uh, we were, uh, for, our, for our anniversary, uh, we, we decided, of course we were living in San Diego at the time, so we, we decided to bed and breakfast down the coast of California. And so we, we started up in Santa Cruz, and uh, we spent a couple nights there, went down to Carmel for a couple nights, and, and then we ended up in Santa Barbara and spent a couple nights. So our last night there in Santa Barbara, uh, we decided to go see a movie. And and so we were early, which is just really strange. I don't know how that happened, but we, we were early, and, and so we didn't want to go into the theater yet. And so right next door, there's a storefront bookstore, and, and uh, Lynn and I are both like big-time book lovers. And so we go in, and I see this book I've really wanted to read. I, it, was, it, was, uh, it was advertised, kind of a, there was a review of it in the L.A. Times. It sounded fascinating to me. It was brand new. It was, it was destined to become a landmark book, but it was just brand new out. And it, it was called Emotional Intelligence by, by Daniel Goleman. And so um, I went in, pick up a copy of this, I'm flipping through, love what I'm seeing. I was already kind of convinced I'm buying it before I even got there. So, so I bought the book, and so then we, we go out afterwards, and we go next door to the movie. And we go to this movie, and the movie's developing, and, it, and it's just, beca- I'm becoming more and more engrossed in this movie. And, and it's like, as about halfway through, I mean, this is like the most compelling movie I've ever seen. And I just, I'm just loving this movie. And then it gets to the end scene, like kind of one of the final scenes, and it's one of the most brutal scenes I've ever seen in, in a movie. And it's just, it's moving me and it's shaking me. And this is not like me. Like, like in movies, I get moved emotionally, but, but not like shake it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just kind of shaking at the core. And so, so I watch this movie and, and the movie ends and Lynn and I walk out. And it's like for a half an hour later, I was shaking. I've, I've never had an experience 
in a movie like Splork. Well, today we're, uh, we're uh, continuing our series that, uh, that we've been in now for the last couple months. So for those of you who are brand new, I want to welcome you. It, it is a series called Freedom, and every week I like to just take a couple minutes and kind of, re, kind of go back for those of you who are new, kind of recapture where we've been. Um, it's a study, this, this is a study of a letter from the Apostle Paul to, uh, uh, to some churches that he and his ministry partner, a man named uh, Barnabas, had helped start recently in the southern, uh, kind, of the, uh, kind of southern area of Turkey. It was, at the time, it was called the, the Roman province of Galatia. And, and so um, what, what had happened is that Paul and Barnabas had taken the message of Jesus to this new area, had never gone there before, and so they share the, the basic message of Jesus, that if, if you want a relationship with God, that it doesn't really matter where you've been in your life, it doesn't matter how far from God you've strayed, that if you want a relationship with God, you can have one. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on your spiritual resume. It's not based on your re- uh, kind of religious acts. That It's based on what Jesus did in his life and death uh, uh, on the cross for you. And, and so they, they bought in this message. Uh, uh, God's spirit came into their life, started changing them from the inside out. Uh, they, uh, churches so they're off to a great start. It's a great start. So then w- what happened next is that these, these Paul and Barnabas have to leave and go back home, and these false teachers come in. They're Jewish teachers. And what they're, what they're saying is, hey, it's good that you believe in Jesus. That's a good first step in your relationship with God. But if you really want to know God, if you really want to be right with God, you want to be saved, and you want to grow spiritually, you need to do what God's people have always done. Uh, you, you need to follow kind of the, the rules, the regulations, the rituals of the Old Testament. And so, so if you've been here this series, you know, for the last four chapters, for the first four chapters, Paul is just kind of adamantly saying this is not true. And if you, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to lose your relationship with, with him altogether. And, and so in chapter 1 and 2, he argued it from his own personal experience with Jesus as an apostle. Uh, from chapter 3, he talked about their experience, what happened when they came to Jesus and the Holy Spirit came into their life. He argued it from that angle. Then the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, he argued it from the Bible, the Old Testament, especially from the life of Abraham, all to show that our relationship with God has always been based on, on faith and trust, not on our performance. Well, well today we come to chapter 5, and, and it's, a, it's a brand new section. It's kind of what I call a bridge section. Uh, it's a bridge between the first part of Galatians and the second and final part of Galatians. And this first part of Galatians has been all about this freedom that we have in Christ, that through Jesus we've been set free from our past. We've been set free from uh, from our old life. We've been set free from uh, trying to earn our relationship. We've been set free from this curse that was over us because of our rebellion, this judgment. And, and we've been uh, set free from this old religious rules. That's the first part of Galatians, the freedom. But in the second part of Galatians, Paul's going to be talking about what does it look like to live a life that's truly free. Now that we're free in Christ, what does that look like to live a life in freedom? And so he's got these two sections, and between them we have this bridge section at the beginning of chapter 5 that kind of summarizes the first four chapters and introduces the, the rest of, of, of the book. Are you with me in this? So it's, that's what I call it a bridge. And so um, we're going to jump in, and, and in this passage, uh, Paul's going to lay out three core concepts that really, in a sense, summarize the whole message of Jesus and summarize the whole message of Galatians that are especially critical for us to understand if we're going to grow as Christ followers. So there in your note sheet, uh, you have a section that's <laughs> called the Call to Freedom, And we're going to go through the first 15 verses together. So uh, if you have your Bible, Galatians chapter 5 and verse (coughs) 1. 
So Paul says uh, it's for, for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is why Jesus has come to set us free. And, of course, this is what he's been saying the first four chapters. Uh, it's through Jesus, his death and resurrection, that, that we are free from our past. We're, we're free from the curse, the judgment of God. We're free from religion and, and rules, and we're free to enter into this new relationship with God. Um, and so he says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And of course, that's what these religious, these false teachers were doing. They were saying, hey, to really be right with God, you need to go back and do all these rules and rituals and religion. And so Paul says, don't go back there. And then in verse 2, he gives a a warning, and he says, mark my words, uh, pay attention. I, Paul, you know, the apostle, I, Paul, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, and of course, that's the big thing these false teachers want. And God's people have always been circumcised. You need to be circumcised to be part of God's kingdom. He says, if you buy into that, if you let yourself be circumcised, then Christ will be of no value to you. In other words, you won't be trusting Jesus for your salvation anymore. You're trusting in your own religious stuff. And, and if you start trusting your own religious stuff, then, then Christ is of no value to you. And so in verse 3, he says, again, I declare to, to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. So as we've seen in Galatians, there's basically only two ways to try to relate to God. Uh, one, you relate to God based on your own performance, your ritual, your, your obedience, whatever. And, and, and the other is to relate to God through faith in Christ. And what Paul's saying is, he says, maybe you Galatians don't get this, but if you let yourself be circumcised, then, then what you're doing is you're buying into a whole way of relating to God that, that means you have to keep the law to be right with God. And so, so if that's the path you take, it, you, don't, you don't just get circumcised and then go on. You've got to follow the whole thing. You know, you can't just pick and choose which parts of the law you want to follow. And so you're going to have to do the whole thing. And as we've seen in Galatians, that's impossible because of our fallen nature. We can't keep the law. That's why Jesus came. And so if you go that route, you're going to end up condemned. And so then in verse 4, he says, You who are trying to be justified by law, made right with God by law, you've been alienated from Christ. You've been cut off, and, and you've, been, uh, you've fallen away from grace. You know, you're losing that relationship. Now, verse 5, he says, but, but by faith, he says, that, that's kind of what you're doing, these false teachers and, and those of you who are buying into it. He says, but we, on the other hand, we as Christ followers, verse 5, but by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. So again, two ways of relating to God. One, I'm going to keep the law. I'm going to get circumcised. I'm going to be right with God. He says, that's what you're doing. It's going to end in death. What we're doing is we're relating to God by faith. And, and by, by trusting in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's come into our life. And so we're, we're trusting that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be made like him. And we're going to have that righteousness. And that's our hope. And, and we're confident in our future because of what Jesus did. Okay, so two different ways of relating to God. Now, in verse uh, 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's, it's really irrelevant. The only thing that counts is faith, like faith in Christ, which is expresses itself through love. And so here he's, he's introducing a key idea he's going to talk about in a few verses. But, but for the Christ follower, life is very simple. You have relationship with God through faith in Christ. And, and he comes in and changes your life, and now you're going to live a life of love. And those are the two things. You relate to God by faith. 
Yeah, and this new freedom we're called to is a life of love. And we'll, he'll, he'll talk about that more in a minute. Now, he says, listen, you are running a great race. I mean, you were off to a great start in your relationship with God. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Like, like who's cut in, kind of causing you to stumble, getting you off track? He says, that kind of persuasion, uh, that kind of argument, uh, it doesn't come from the one who calls you. This is not from God, the one who started your relationship. And then he, he quotes a proverb, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. So what he's saying is that in a church, a, a little bit of false teaching can spread rapidly, infect the whole church, and that's what's going on there. And then he says, look, I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. So in spite of these strong things he's saying, he says, I, I, I'm confident that you're going to come around, you're going to get this, you're going to come back to faith, you're going you're to keep on walking with, with Jesus. Um, but he says, but the one, um, uh, the, the one who's throwing you into confusion, these false teachers, they're going to pay the penalty, wh- whoever they may be. So he's not really clear on who all these false, teach- false teachers are. But I don't know if you remember this back in chapter 1. But Paul said, uh, if, if anyone brings a different gospel than the one that, that we brought to you, faith in Christ, let him be eternally condemned or let him go to hell. Remember that? And so what he's saying here is, is look, I, I'm convinced that you as a church, you're going to come around. You're going to get this. But whoever these false teachers are, they're leading you straight. They're going to have to judge. They're going to have to answer to God for, for this. Now, in verse uh, uh, 11, he uh, changes direction. He says, brothers, if I'm still per- uh, preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So apparently, some of these false teachers in Galatia, not only are they teaching that you need to be circumcised to be saved, they're saying that Paul teaches that too. And so what they're saying is when, when he was with you, yeah, he didn't tell you that. But he's, when he's in other places, he still preaches circumcision. He's still he'll, in, in different settings. He'll say, no, you need to be circumcised. Now, interesting little sidebar here. <coughs> um, it is true that at times the Apostle Paul would recommend or have someone circumcised. But it was never for spiritual reasons. It was never for their relationship with God. Like a, a, a case in point is in Acts chapter 16, Paul uh, kind of takes under his wing a young man who's going to become his protege, kind of a, a leader of the church, a man named Timothy. Timothy had a mother who was a Jew, but a father who was a Greek or Gentile. So when he was born, he wasn't circumcised. And so as he becomes a Christ follower, and he's going to be following with Paul, and they're going to be going into Jewish synagogues to share about the Messiah, Paul realizes this is going to be a problem to bring a, kind of an uncircumcised person with him in the synagogue. And so for pragmatic reasons, he has Timothy circumcised so that, so that it won't be a stumbling block to getting in the door to sharing the message of Jesus. It had nothing to do with Timothy's salvation or his spiritual growth. It was just a practical matter. You see what I'm saying? And so, but what these false teachers were teaching was that Paul, remember how he said early in this series that Paul will change his message to where, depending on his audience? What they're saying is, yeah, when he was there with you in Galatia, he said you didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. But when he's in other places, like with Jewish people, he says, yeah, you, that you do have to be. And so Paul says, that's crazy. If that's true, why would I be being persecuted by these Jewish teachers? Because the offense of the cross would be abolished. I mean, at that point, no one would have, these Jewish teachers wouldn't have a problem with me. The whole offense of the cross is that it's through Jesus alone. You don't need these rules. And and so he says, "That's that's just baloney. Now, at this point, Paul is getting really uh, frustrated. Uh, he, I mean, he is fighting for the life of these believers. He loves these people. 
These are his spiritual children. These false teachers, they've come in, and, and they've, they've, they're trying to take him away from Jesus. And, and he sees them going near the cliff spiritually and about to go over. And so for four chapters, now five chapters, we've seen him fighting for their spiritual life. If you were here in chapter four, he's, he's like, oh, man, I, I love you. What happened to our relationship? And he's, just, he's, he's pulling everything he can out to keep them from going over the edge. And now he's got these false teachers saying, lying about what he's teaching to push their agenda. And so you can just see the frustration boiling. And so here, here he says, and it's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Uh, he says, as for these agitators, these false teachers, you know, they're, they're really big on the whole circumcision thing. He says, I wish they would just go the whole way and emasculate themselves. <laughs> now, in the Greek, it's a little bit more candid. It says, I wish they'd just go all the way and cut themselves off. Now, are, are you following this? Hey, like, hey, they're into this circumcision. We're going to cut off a little bit. I just wish they'd cut it all off. <laughs> now, I've got a diagram. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I, I just love Paul. He is so real. And the thing I love most about him is that sometimes people get critical of me because I'm, I'm kind of candid or earthy. And I just say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm definitely below the Apostle Paul. I've never, I have never said anything like that, right? So uh, anyway, my favorite plaque verse. Um, so here we go. So so now he's going to go back to his original topic. He says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Now, now look back at verse 1 again. This, this chapter starts off, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. This whole topic, the whole topic of Galatians, why we call this series freedom, the whole topic is about Jesus has come to set you free. But, but now he's beginning to transition in what does that life of freedom look like? It was free from our past. Yeah, we're free from this old ritual. Yeah, we're free from, from all this stuff. But what does it look like to live a life of freedom? So he's beginning to transition in. He says, it's, it, my brothers, you're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, your old fallen human nature. Because if you, if, in other words, if you pursue the fallen nature, uh, that leads to death. It leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to bondage, the ultimate bondage. He says, rather, serve one another in love. And so this is the whole point we talked about earlier, that, that he sets us free so he can live a life of love. And we'll talk more about that later. <laughs> the entire law, the entire law, of course, the, these false teachers, they, they want you to follow the entire law, all the rules and rituals. He says, look, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so, of course, that came from the teaching of Jesus said that. And so he says, um, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. And so apparently this, we, we're learning something new about these churches in Galatia. Remember, there's more than one church. And, and that we're learning something new is that, that not only are they, they, they being infiltrated by these false teachers that are teaching this false teaching about Jesus, but there's also some significant conflict going on. There's some biting and devouring. In the Greek, it's very, it's like biting and chewing. It's like, a, it's the language used like, like a wolf pack or dogs in a dog fight. And so it's very um, kind of graphic language. And he says if, if you keep on biting and chewing each other, so that there's some significant conflict going on in this church. We don't know a lot about it. He'll 
refer to a little bit more later as we'll go in deeper in the series. But, but there, there's some significant things. He says, hey, listen, you're called to a life of freedom, and, and that life of freedom ultimately is a life of love. And in your situation, you need to apply it to this, this conflict that's, that's going on, all right? And, and so that's the passage. Like I say, it's a bridge passage. He, he's summarizing the first whole section of Galatians. You're called to be free, but, but now he's introducing the second section of Galatians. What does it look like to live a life of freedom? And so, so we're ending one section. We're starting another section. But in, this, in these verses, he's introducing what I'm calling three core concepts of what it means to be a Christ follower that kind of summarize what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how we live the Christian life, what, what it looks like. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section they're going to delve into called the pursuit of freedom, three core concepts. So let's jump in. And what I want to say is if you can catch these three concepts, I mean, these are really like lifetime concepts. These are things that take a lifetime to catch, and we'll never fully catch them. But but these are like core foundational concepts that describe what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. It takes everything it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it really narrows it down. Let's go down to the basics. Let me tell you, I'll tell you, what does it mean to be a Christ? Here's three things. This is what it means. This kind of takes in everything. And so as a follower of Jesus, if you can get these three things down in your life, uh, you're pretty much good. You're good to go, right? So it's really important stuff. So here we go. Number one is is the, is, uh, the most obvious of the three, that it goes like this, that um, Jesus came to set us free. And I know this kind of sounds really kind of religious and so on, but just hang with me. He came to set us free, and of course, this is what um, this is what Paul has been arguing uh, from the beginning. That the reason Jesus came to planet Earth is to set us free to, to be the people we were created to be. That that's why he came. And so, in this letter so far, he, he's talked about some of those aspects of freedom. You're free from your past. Uh, you, you're free from uh, this judgment, this sentence of judgment the curse of, oh, that was on you because of your rebellion against the king of the universe. The sentence of that, he set you free from that. He set you free from this, these all religious rules and rituals that you no longer need now that Jesus has come, that you can enter into a direct relationship with God through Jesus where you become his sons or daughters and we live life as it's supposed to be lived. And so for four chapters, he's been talking about this freedom that Jesus came to set us free. And so this is one of the most core concepts of understanding what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Like someone who's a Christ follower, at their core, whether they know it or not, they believe that Jesus came to planet Earth to set us free to be the people we were supposed to be. Now, let me tell you, though, that, that honest, uh, uh, honestly, even as Christ followers, that we struggle with this at times, don't we? That, that deep inside of us, there's this part of our fallenness that deep inside in you, deep inside in me, there's something that says, if I truly follow Jesus wholeheartedly, 100%, he will ruin my life, right? <laughs> He'll send me to Africa as a missionary, to the Zabanabanas or whatever, you know, and, and, and I'll be living, you know, right? there's something, right? There's something deep within us that feels like if I follow Jesus 100%, he is going to restrict my freedom. Okay? 
And this is part of the, it goes way back to the fall. It's part of the fallen human nature. This was the lie from the, the very first lie that, that if you truly follow God, he will restrict you. He's out to hold you down. He's out to hold you back. He, he's there. And so if you truly pursue God uh, passionately, you run after him, it will lead to a life of restriction. And this is the deep core belief we have about God when we come to Jesus. And we, we come to Jesus, that begins to be broken down in our life. But, but what Paul wants us to understand is, no, this is it. This is why Jesus came. And the more that you follow him, the more freedom you'll experience in your life. Now, well, what, what kind of freedom? Well, you name it. Uh, financial freedom. Uh, economic freedom. Uh, spiritual freedom freedom, uh, emotional freedom, relational freedom. Are you, are you with me? That Jesus came to restore the freedom that we lost at, at, the, uh, at the fall. And so this is how Paul starts this passage in, in Galatians 5 and verse 1. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is why he came to give us back our freedom. Now, um, this is so important for us to, to, to grasp. Uh, and this is something Jesus talked about. And, and I want to take you back to something Jesus said. We talked about this in our last series. But I want to go back to this and review it because it's so critical. The, the passage is, is John chapter 8. <laughs> it's there in your note sheet. And, and here's a scene. Jesus is talking to some new followers. And at, at some level, they've, they start, they've been listening to his teaching. At some level, maybe not very deep, but they're starting to believe in him. They're starting to think, yeah, he's the real deal. And so here's what he says. He says, to the Jews who had believed in him, uh, Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teaching. Now, now that, that word hold there in the Greek is the, the little Greek word meno. And you can translate it several words, several ways, but it means to abide, it means to remain, it means to stick with, to, to hold on to, you see? So what he's saying is, okay, uh, uh, to these new, if you, if, you, if you follow me, if you, if you hold on to my teaching, like you don't just like start and then stop, but, but you really take me seriously, and you hold on to my teaching, you follow my teaching. He says, if you hold on to my teaching, then you're really my disciples, my followers, my students. He says, this is the way to know whether you're serious about being my follower. The way you test that is, do you hold on to, follow, remain, uh, stick with my teaching? That, that's the way. You may think of yourself as a Christ follower, but, but if you're not holding on to my teaching, you really aren't. See, this is the way we can fool ourselves. If you're, if you're really serious about being a follower, this is how you tell, do you follow my teaching? And then he goes on, he says, um, then at that point, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. Okay, so the Apostle Paul says Jesus came to set you free. Uh, Jesus here is explaining how this freedom works. And so what Jesus explains this is a very important three-step process to freedom. And I want to walk, walk this through. Here's what Jesus says in this passage. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you'll be my disciples. That's step number one. The first step to freedom is holding on to the teaching of Jesus, that we're truly going to follow it. We're serious about this, okay? So that I, I'm a Christ follower. I'm going I'm to learn from him. I'm going to let him be my rabbi. I'm going to let him be my teacher. Uh, I'm going to let him be my leader, and I'm going to follow what he tells me to do. So that, that's step one in this process. He says step, step two in the process, he says, then at that point, you will know the truth. 
Are you with me? So, so first step is I'm serious. You're my rabbi. You're my teacher. You're my leader. I'm going to follow you. What do I do? I'm going to follow you. He says, okay, once you've made that decision and you start to follow, here's what's going to happen. Stage two is that lights are going to start going on in your life. You're going to know the truth. That, that all of a sudden, spiritual truth, you're going to start to see life a new way. Things that used to seem right are going to seem wrong. Uh, decisions that used to seem wise are going to seem stupid. Uh, things that seem to be stupid are going to seem wise. Like, lights are going to go on, and, and life is going to start to get clear. The, the truth is going to come into your life. Are you with me in this? So first step, we start following. We're serious. Second step, lights begin to come on spiritually. In fact, a lot of people can't figure out. I go to church, I read my Bible, but, but nothing's speaking to me. Lights aren't going on. I can guarantee you what the problem is the problem is is you're going through the motions but you're not really ready to follow because when we get ready to follow lights start going on you see and so so he says first step you're serious second step the lights start going on he says that when the lights start going on third step is the truth begins to set you free you see and, and so now I'm going through life Jesus is uh, he's my leader uh, I'm following him. Uh, as I follow him day by day, lights are going on. He's showing me things about relationships. He's showing me things about uh, a walk with him. He's showing things about finances. He's showing me things about certain areas of sin. And lights are going on, and I'm getting it. And it's like, as then I pursue that more, then, then I, I step into this freedom for which I was created. See? And so, so that's the process. So, so here's what I want you to catch. Part of being a follower of Jesus at, at its core is that someone believes that Jesus has come to set us free, to give us life to the fullest, right? That, that's kind of a, the core concept. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me spell out for you why this is so important. This is so important because the more that you believe that following Jesus will lead to freedom, the more you'll follow Jesus. Are you with me in this? That, that if you don't believe this, then you will follow Jesus until the point where it gets hard. And then at that point, you'll stop following Jesus because deep inside of you, you don't believe Jesus came to set you free. Deep inside of you, you believe that if you follow Jesus, you will lose your freedom. Are you with me in this? And so what happens is we come to an area of our life, and maybe it's sexual temptation, and there's someone we want to have an affair with, and we're being drawn to that person. There's a strong draw. And inside, Jesus says, don't do it. You will ruin your life. But it feels like, but this person makes me come alive. And when I'm with this person, I feel like I'm 16 again. Like life is good. And this is free. And everything within you feels like that. And Jesus says, I promise you, this is not a good thing. This will lead to bondage. I know it feels like this, but I promise you, trust me. And you have to decide, do you believe Jesus is telling the truth and he'll lead you to freedom? Or, or do you believe that if you follow what you're feeling, it will lead to freedom? Are you with me? Uh, uh, you come to the area, we're going to be talking about finances. Jesus says it's, more be- it's better to give than receive. Right? Jesus says that at times in life, less is more. And on Madison Fifth Avenue, our whole culture says, no, more is more. And, and, and so we're stuck in between. And it's like, if I follow Jesus in this area and I trust him with my finances, I'm afraid he's going to restrict my freedom and life's going to get poorer. You see? Or do we trust what Jesus says? No, trust me in this. I will bless you. It will lead to a freedom of spirit and life and even financial blessing that you can't imagine. So so who do you trust, you see? 
Uh, there's a person in your life who has hurt you deeply. Maybe they're an ex-spouse and they've just been so mean and cruel and, and illegal and unjust and, and, and through the court process and a custody battle and so on. And everything within you wants to hate them. And, and, Jesus, and that feels like power. And Jesus comes to you and he says, no, no, trust me in this. You need to forgive them. This is the path to freedom. You see? And, and so who do you believe You see, at our core, every one of us has a core belief about will will following Jesus lead to more freedom or will following Jesus lead to restriction? And what Paul is saying is, trust me in this, Jesus came to save. Can can I tell you this in my life? I follow Jesus even in the hard times because I've learned through life that in the hardest times and the deepest deaths that if I will follow him, it leads to greater freedom. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And so I'll follow him through hell, through high water, whatever. I'll die to what he says because I've learned in life that he is serious about this. He has come to give me life. And sometimes that life requires my death, you know? And if I want to rise to a new life, I've got to die to my old, my old self. And so, and so because of that, uh, I, I'm empowered in my life to follow Jesus even in the hard times. Does this make sense? So, so this is a core concept I want you to, to follow Jesus means he's come to set you free. And the question is, do you, do you believe that? Now here's the second thing he says uh, on this same point. Uh, no, notice chapter 5 and verse 1 of Galatians. He says it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And so he says, stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that, that Jesus has come to set you free. But, but there will always be people who come into your life who want to rob that freedom. Uh, there will always be people, and they're usually religious people. Religious people will come into your life and want to steal the freedom that Jesus died to give you. Sometimes your worst enemy is yourself. Right? Because we, we were raised a certain way, we had certain ideas about God. And so in the Galatians situation, what's happening is, is these, these Galatian false teachers are coming in saying, it's great you believe in Jesus, that's awesome, but you need to add all these Old Testament rules, all these Old Testament rituals, and they want to steal their freedom. Paul says, don't let them do it. Well, the same thing happens in our life. So that if we follow Jesus, there will always be people that come into our life and say, if you really want to grow spiritually, if you really want, here's all these rules, these man-made rules, and we've seen this all through Galatians, haven't we? That there's, there's a natural tendency as fallen people to take our relationship with God and to turn it into this religion. So Paul says, don't do it. And he's doing a full court press on these people. He, he's, he's coming at them with everything. He says, hey, you can't go back. If, if you buy into this, if you let yourself be circumcised, you've been alienated from Jesus. You, you've, you're fallen from grace. You're going to lose everything you have in your relationship with God. If you listen to this stuff, if you, if you submit to this slavery, you're going to lose this relationship that Jesus died to give you. And he's passionate, and he's pushing on it. And at the end, he's just so upset. He's like, listen, these people are going to pay the price for, for leading you astray. And, and man, I just wish they'd cut themselves off. And he's just, he's just so passionate because he's fighting for their freedom. And this is what I'm telling you. If you follow Jesus long enough, there will come a day you will have to fight for your freedom. Because the enemy will come, Satan will come, religious people will come, and they will try to put things on you that are not of Jesus, and they will rob you of your freedom. And if you follow it, it will destroy your relationship with him. 
And yet it's funny, when I, when, I, when, I, when I see Paul in action here, when I see his passion, when I read his thing, you know, it's for freedom we've been set free. Man, it, it always takes me back. Every time I read Galatians 5, it takes me back to that night in Santa Barbara. And, uh, and so we're in this, that movie, right? And it's just so moving, and it's so compelling. And, uh, and, and it was the movie Braveheart. Do you remember that movie? This became one of the, I, I was talking to, to one lady this week, said her husband went and sat in a theater 15 times. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't do 15, but, uh, but it's just so compelling, you know, this story of the of this Scottish peasant uh, who rises up to lead a rebellion against these, these uh, you know, these evil, tyrant English lords and king, and and how he has his success, and then he's, he's betrayed. Um, and, and you remember that scene, if you've seen the movie, you remember the scene at the end of the movie, and, and the crowd's there, and they've now captured him because he's been betrayed. And they're, they're commanding him to recant and to go back and, and to renounce this freedom. And he refuses to do that because he loves his people and he loves his friends, and he's not going to recant. And they give him the offer if, if you'll just recant, then, then we won't. We won't torture you. We'll just kill it. We'll make, we'll make it quick. And he refuses to recant because he knows what's at stake. It's the freedom of his people is at stake. If you remember that scene, the crowd's there, and they're, they're, they're crying out for mercy, and some are jeering, and they're, and, and they're disemboweling him. I mean, this is a gruesome scene as they're disemboweling him, and he's screaming in pain. And you remember that scene where he yells out to end his final words. Remember that? Freedom! And he screams it out and he inspires his people that we will not go back. We will not give up. We will not be slaves again. We refuse to go back to that bondage. And he died for their freedom. And the apostle Paul comes and he says, it's for freedom that Christ died. You cannot go back. This is why he bled. This is why he died. This is why he was tortured. This is why they tore him up, so that you could have freedom. That's why he came. Don't give it up and trust in him and follow him, because this is what following Jesus is all about. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So, so that's his first point, that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so this is why he's coming. Now, the second point he wants to make is he wants to transition now. That's kind of the first part of Galatians. Now he wants to transition and talk to us about what this life of freedom looks like. What does it look like to be a free follower of Jesus, a free man, a free woman? What's it look like? And so the, the principle goes like this, that the path of freedom is a life of love. That, that this, this life he calls us to, this life of freedom, is, is a life of love. Now, what he says is uh, a life of freedom doesn't mean the freedom to do whatever you want. B- because if you pursue the dark side, it will destroy you. If you pursue the dark side of your own human nature, it, it will lead to bondage in your life. And so, so it doesn't mean pursuing the dark side. He says this, this, this life of freedom is really a life of love. And this makes a lot of sense if you stop and think about it. If we go back uh, in time, you go back to the beginning of the human story, and, and we're told that in the garden that, that God created the first man, the first woman, and they were created to be like God. Remember that? They were created in God's image. 
And so, you know, God is the source of all that's good and right and true. He's the source of all love. The Bible says God is love. And so, so we were created to be like him. We were created to be lovers. We were created to love God and love people. And so this is the way we were created. When we were created, it was natural to think of others first. When we were created, it was natural to seek other people's best interest. When we were created, it was natural to seek and to serve. It was just natural. We, we got joy in that. We got freedom in that. You see? But what happened is we rebelled against the creator. We rebelled against the source of all that's good and right and true. When we rebelled against the source of all life and love, the, the lights went out on us spiritually. And we became self-absorbed. And we became selfish. And we became ego-driven. And we became slaves to ourselves. And, and now we don't look outward and, and are taken up with God and taken up with others. We look inward and we're taken up with ourselves. And we no longer love God and love people. We want to use God for our purposes and use people. And that's the fallenness of the human race. And that's why the world is like it is. And so this is what Jesus came to restore. He came to restore the image of the creator that we would be lovers as he is. And this is what Paul says in, in chapter 5 and verse 13. <laughs> he says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. That's your destiny. Well, what's that look like? Well, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, the fallen nature, the, the dark side. Rather, serve one another in love. So the, this, what, the, what's a life of freedom look like? It looks like a life of love. And then he goes on, he says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. And, and this is quoting from Jesus. And he's, uh, he said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that's a, a quote from the Old Testament that comes from Leviticus. And so I don't know if you remember this, but, but Jesus was once asked, of all the laws in the Old Testament, there's over 600 of them, which is the most important? Like if I'm only going to keep one, like which would be the, the one I want to not break? And, and so what's God's top priority? And Jesus said, here's the number one. The, God's number one priority is you would love God passionately. Uh, that you would love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your, your strength. That, that he would be your first love. He'd be your deepest passion. He'd be your highest priority. Okay? This, is what, uh, this passion for God. He says the second most important priority is you would love your neighbor as yourself. You would love people with the same kind of dogged commitment that you love yourself. And, and then Jesus said, and all the rest of the laws in the Old Testament, all the other 600, are really just an explanation or a footnote of what it looks like to love God and love people, okay? And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says, what God is doing in the human race is that he is restoring the human race to their original design. He's restoring us to our original purpose. We were created for freedom. It was a freedom to love. That's what we lost. We, we became a slave to ourselves. And so Jesus has come to set us free, what? To live a life of love, that we would go through life, loving God, loving people, be free from ourself, free, free to, to pursue uh, the joy of others. You see, and this is true freedom, that the truest freedom is, requires a death to ourself, this old self, so that we can rise again. Like the only way we get truly free in life is by dying to the fallen self, that we rise again to the new self, to, that we would be people who love. Are, are you with this? So, so catch this, the Christian life now is becoming very simple, isn't it? It, what does it mean? It means that we're free from the past. We're free from the dark side. It means that we're free to live who, who, this life of love that we we're, were created to live. And that's the second thing. This is it. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means you're free. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means that you're free to love. This is your calling. 
See, it's very simple. In every situation we're in, in every relationship, the one, the one call of our life is what does love look like in this situation? In my marriage, on the job, what, are the, you know, what does love look like in this situation? And, and so, but we need someone to teach us that. We need some guidance and someone, what does this life of freedom look like? How do we get there? And that leads to point number three. So, so point number three is this, according to Paul, the secret to this new life of freedom, the secret of freedom, is learning to follow the Spirit. It's following the Spirit. And this is the third kind of radical, huge, big picture concept of the book of Galatians that we're going to be delving into in great detail uh, in the, uh, when we continue this series in a few weeks. Um, that, that, um, that here's what Paul says. Paul says that when you became a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit came inside of you. And the job of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to the life of freedom. That's his job. And so as we learn to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit, he will teach us how to love, and he will teach us how to go to the land of freedom, how to be freed up in every area of our life. That's the key. So look at in, in chapter 5 and verse 16. This is the very next verse. We didn't cover this one yet, but it's the next verse in the passage. <laughs> he says, so I, I say, live by the Spirit. Uh, literally in the Greek it says walk by the Spirit. You know, kind of, kind of walk with the Spirit, let him lead you. Uh, wa- live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of this sinful nature, this fallen uh, nature, dysfunctional nature. Um, now, here's what Paul's in. The false teachers, here's what the false teachers are teaching. They're not only teaching that to be right with God and to be saved, you have to follow the law. That's the first thing they're teaching. They're also teaching to grow up spiritually, to become spiritually mature, to become like Jesus, to live a life of freedom. The key is following the Old Testament law. That's what they're teaching. And Paul comes along and he says, that is not true. The key to you moving into a life of freedom, the key to you becoming the person that God's created you to be, is to learn how to listen and follow the leading of the Spirit in your life. Okay, And so what this means for us as Christ followers, what this means for us as a church, is our highest priority is to learn how to listen and follow the leading of the Spirit in our life. And that's what Paul is going to unpack for us in great detail, how to do that in this second part of uh, Galatians. Okay, And so, and so in, this, in this passage, and Paul lays out these three core principles. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? It means, it means, first of all, that Jesus has come to set you free. It's why he's come. Don't let anyone rip you off. And the more you follow, and the more freedom you're going to get. Secondly, this life of freedom is, is ultimately a life of love. And third, we need a tutor. We need a guide in this process. That's why the Spirit's come to lead us to the life of freedom. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so thankful for your word and, and for this letter in particular that just encapsulates the, the Christian life, that, that it's about freedom. Um, it's why you've come. Uh, it's about a freedom to love, a, a, a freedom from ourself, uh, and it's about uh, being led there by your Spirit, that that's the key, the secret. And so, Lord, we pray that as a church, you will lead us and you will guide us as we continue this journey learning what it means to experience freedom. We thank you for this first series that we've had, this first sub-series, where we've learned about this freedom that we have. We pray that you continue to teach us and lead us that way in your name. Amen. Hey, your freedom is here. Isn't that awesome? That he has come, he's died to set you free. And so if you're a Christ follower, 
You're, you're free. You're, you're free from your past. Uh, you don't have to fear God anymore. God is now your Father. That through the death of Jesus, the curse that was upon you has been taken upon Him, and, and you're free. And you're free from religious rules and rituals. It's not about that. We're free. And, and, and as we're going to be learning in this series, you're free from your dark side. You know, that He's come to set you free from that. And we're going to be learning more about that. And you're free to move into the future, to be the person you're created to be. And it's all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so may this week, and especially today on this 4th of July Sunday, where we celebrate the freedom of our country, may we we celebrate the greater freedom that we have, the freedom in Christ to be everything we were created to be. God bless you. I love you. And I'll see you next week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.